0: Thank you so much for being here this morning. It's, it's amazing what the Lord is doing uh, in our midst over this past week, uh, July Jam. Uh, uh, our kids' ministry just does a fantastic job. Please thank them whenever you get the opportunity. And who knew Pete Williams had moves like that? He can dance. It's wonderful. And so... Yeah. It's just a joy to come together and to gather and just spend time praising His name because as we've been saying through this service and we've been saying over the week that God does not it the praises of His people and He shows up in powerful ways. And I'm very expectant for the word that we get to hear this morning. Uh, we have Mike McElvoy, who is our superintendent in the Southeast region here. And I'm so thankful uh, for Mike and his heart and his uh, heart for ministry for going on four decades. He's been pouring himself out Uh, Just serving the Lord in beautiful ways starting I could talk about nonprofits that he started I could talk about the six churches in Pennsylvania that he started but the thing about Mike that amazes me every time I get to be around him is just his heart for Jesus and his heart for mission Uh, and it's amazing amazing. Uh, the ways in which God is inspiring him and in leading us in the southeast region and I'm so thankful uh, that we're here today and in fact the one of the reasons why we're here today in a free Methodist church is in large part because of Mike and his leadership and when people ask me why did you join the free Methodist church one of the things I can always point to is the integrity and character and passion of the leaders in the free Methodist church and so I'm so thankful for him and Marnie they have four children three grandchildren Uh, They live now in Florida as uh, he continues his kingdom work. And if you're not unsure what a superintendent is, a superintendent, uh, God calls people throughout history to serve in ways in the church, to bring churches together and connect them for greater kingdom impact. And again, he does that in beautiful ways. And so he's going to open up the word for us today. I hope you're ready to receive that. So would you please welcome our superintendent, Mike McAvoy. Well,
1: God is good. Amen. Well, good morning everyone here at Fraser Church, and good morning to those joining us online. We are excited uh, to spend this time with you. It's a great privilege as well as a pleasure. Uh, I want to thank Chris for the introduction. Pastor Chris and his wife Emily for their great hospitality to my wife Marnie and I. Marnie sitting over there. Uh, You know, it has been such a joy to share more than half of my life uh, on this journey of life and ministry with her. She has been through the ups and the downs, and the truth is, I am here today because of that woman, and so I'm so grateful for her. Um, We are going to dive into God's Word together, and so I want to kick things off, first of all, though, with explaining the title of today's discussion. So, uh, the title is Eyes Wide Shut, And the Urban Dictionary defines this phrase in this way. It says, eyes wide shut is when a person refuses to see something in plain view because of preconceived notions of what this something should look like. And so, in the uh, scripture that we're about to read in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, if you have your Bibles, you want to open to Luke chapter 14 and follow along there, that'd be great. Um, So, in Luke chapter 14, we have a, a case study of eyes wide shut scenario unfolding before us. So, here's how it goes. It says, one Sabbath, "...when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully." So notice this, their eyes are wide, but are their eyes wide open, is the question. Verse 2, "...and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy." And Jesus responded to the lawyers, those are also known as experts in the law, and the Pharisees, saying, it is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, put a pause here for a moment, and can we all acknowledge that when Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, asks a question, it is not because he doesn't know the answer, right? Right? It's not because he needs to process and and ponder and work through it and figure out the answer. It's because we, he is drawing our attention or the attention of the folks in the room to process and to reason through and come to this This understanding, and and when you and I look at this question, it seems pretty obvious what the answer is, yes? So the question is, why was it not so obvious to them? Or was it? So he goes on in verse 4. Notice their response, but they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Now, this should sound familiar, by the way. When Jesus asks, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then he goes into the story about, hey, if you had a child or an animal that got fell into a pit or a well, wouldn't you pull them out on the Sabbath immediately? He said this before. If you've been a part of Fraser Church and been going through the book of Luke together, uh, you've heard Jesus say this. He, one occasion he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he's just constantly challenging them to process through. And again, notice, it says, and they could not reply to these things. You know, isn't it a sad reality? Here's Jesus contrasting how they would care. First he mentions a son, which interestingly in the Old English, King James, they actually translated that as a donkey. Hmm. I think I see the similarity, right? I have four kids. So, um, but, you know, the interesting thing and the sad thing is is that how many religious folk do we know who actually do care for and treat their pets better than their neighbors? That's a challenge, right? Do we as Christians who are called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't that the vision or the the purpose statement of Fraser Church that we are going to fulfill the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Teaching them to obey God's commands by living out the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you know, loving our neighbor as ourselves today, that's a bit of a challenge to try to translate, right? But how about if we just love them as much as we love our cat and our dog? Well, they could not reply. So over and over again, notice that Jesus asks the question. He, and he, he pushes them a little and prompts and prods and says, What's the answer? And each time, notice, crickets, quiet, no response. So the question is, how can uh, they be looking at everything that's just unfolding? They're looking at Jesus, they're looking at what he's saying, and now what he's doing. I mean, he pulls out a sick, disabled person and heals him right in front of their eyes. And all they can say is nothing. Why are they looking at all this unfold before them and not seeing Jesus goes into what would seem a disconnected story? But it goes on to say, let's read verses 7 through 11. Now he told a parable, a story, to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the, t- at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What cultivates and creates the eyes wide shut syndrome, pride, the same spirit that was driving these religious leaders to to grasp and strive to get the the cherished seats in the house, was causing them to gaze widely at the Savior and not see, right? Imagine for a moment. Here they are. They have been watching this man for years and they could not see that in all the years of watching him and criticizing and trying to find fault, they never found one. In their pride, their eyes were wide shut that the creator of the universe was sitting right in front of them sharing a meal. Not only did they have years and years of public ministry where he would declare things and teach things, but he also did things, both in private and in public, in front of the masses, to confirm the authority of what he said and what he claimed. And while they didn't like it, they couldn't find fault with it. And so while he was not only sinless, there was this validation that he was who he said he was. And they couldn't see it. And what were they not seeing? They weren't seeing that the book that they studied all their lives and became experts in and the faith and the religion that they were leaders in And represented as a source of freedom and life to the world. That the author of that faith was sitting right in front of them, Fulfilling what had been prophesied in those pages for millennia. He's doing it. And they couldn't even see it. They were blind, blind to their own desperate need for that Savior, blind to the great disconnect of their heart from the faith that they not only professed but lived out and represented as experts in. They were blind to the Not only their own desperate need, but they were blind to the needs that were surrounding them. In that room, at that very moment, let alone day to day as they would walk around the streets. You see, in that very room, what they didn't see, though their eyes were looking at everything and everyone, Jesus called out. Jesus saw. And I want you to know, he sees today. This broken, this disabled. And he cares, and he initiates, and he engages. Not only in the pages of Scripture, but even now, even this moment. Some of us may be that broken, messy, Disabled person. Questioning and wondering, does God see me? Does he care? Will he? Would he want to? As we look at this scripture, we see that these religious leaders failed to recognize that the author of creation had now become just as he declared he would a part of the story now he's one of the characters one of the creatures and as a human being doing for all human beings past present and future what no one of us or all of us together could ever do for ourselves he made a way he was making a way where there was no way And they missed it in all of their performance of going through the motions of religious ritual, tradition, and form, keeping all the rules, declaring all the right statements of belief and doctrine, which is all important, isn't it? And yet, their eyes were wide shut. This could happen to any one of us, it happened to me. As I was preparing for this time with you, I was getting all set. I started this message probably about five times. It wasn't till the sixth time that I got to where we're at today. I would pray I would process, I, would, I dug out my Greek. I'm looking at the, what's going on in the Greek language here. What's going on in these various translations of the Bible, different versions. You know, what do the different commentaries have to say? I had quotes from B.T. Roberts, the founder of free Methodism. I had quotes from uh, West, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism at large. And I was ready to come and, and give you my best in the spirit of excellence. I wanted you blessed. And I wanted you to be impressed. But isn't and without realizing it friends. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling trying to make sense of like what angle am I supposed to, to go at this message with and what, what details are supposed to be going out, uh, being brought out. And so I'm looking at Jesus carefully. I'm looking at the dynamics of the situation and what's happening between the characters in the story. And I'm looking at what all the experts have to say on the subject. But my eyes were wide shut. And why were they blind to that moment? Because there, slithering into my own heart, slithering into my own mind, was the same sick, disease called pride that was at work in the Pharisees and the experts of the law. After about the fifth time of starting and getting all this work done and getting feeling like this just isn't it. This just isn't it. I'm praying and I'm processing, I'm thinking and then I go and I get up from my desk and I walk through the house and I'm just like, God, what is it you want to say? Why, you know, why am I not hearing you clearly? Why does this seem like such a labor? Talking about Jesus doesn't come hard for me. And I walk through and I go outside into the back Lanai area of the house and I do the very spiritual uh, thing that I do to get close to God, I jump in my swimming pool. (laughs) And I just float and sink to the bottom of the pool and it's quiet down there, you know? All the noises, all the voices get drowned out. And that's when it hit me. And God was like, you're not seeing because your eyes are wide shut. You're looking at all these other things, but you're blinded by your pride. I heard a preacher one time say, you need to go into your prayer closet and pray until you die before you go preach anywhere. Because too often preachers get in the way. You see, there's only one person that should be exalted in this place, in your life, and in the world. There's only one pl- person that you should be impressed with. There's only one person that should be glorified. And it isn't me, it isn't Pastor Chris. It isn't somebody on the television, it's Jesus. And it's Jesus alone. There is no other, there's nobody that compares. With that said, I want to ask you today, as we process through this story, Which person are we? Are our our eyes wide shut as the broken person? Because every day we've been around people who represent a much higher view and understanding of the Lord and the freedom and the life that he wants to bring into the world and we just continue to feel unseen? Have we prayed and felt like it's just not worked and wondered where is God? Wondering does he see? I want you to know he sees. And I want you to know that he's reaching out but some of us in this room may be like those who are watching carefully because we, he is not what we're looking for. We don't believe. We know what he says. We know his claims. We know that it's recorded by thousands and thousands of witnesses of what he has done supernaturally to confirm his claims and teachings, but our pride will not allow us to acknowledge that what Jesus taught, said, and did wasn't done in a closet, but was in fact done over the time frame of years in the eyes of the public. And not just in front of those who loved him and supported him and followed him and believed in him. But even in front of the very people who not only disbelieved. But were out to get him. They were resisting him. Trying to find fault with him. Reasons not to believe. And in fact. Even kill him. Maybe some of us. We've grown up in the Bible Belt and we have heard about God and Jesus our whole life. But it just doesn't carry any weight. Why? It's not because we're not looking, it's because we're not seeing the weightiness and the reality. Not of a story, but of the person, Jesus Christ. Some of us may be the religious leaders who believe and know the right answers. We practice the right forms. But there's been a disconnect. And now what we do is more out of duty than desire. It's because it's the right thing and we have to and we ought to instead of we want to and get to. If we find ourselves today in any one of those three places where our eyes have been wide shut, maybe today you sense God stirring in your heart, beginning to actually remove the blinders of the pride, the self-exaltation, my what I think, what I feel, how I understand things and and what is the my criteria that must be met my way my terms maybe we sense God stirring today cracking pulling down the blinders piercing the veil whatever phrase you want to use and drawing our hearts to him afresh. And if that's you, whether for the very first time in your life or maybe you sense this as as kind of a coming back, I want to invite you to close this time with me with a prayer. I'm going to invite everyone to pray together because as a church, I want us to support and encourage those that would be making this commitment for the first time or as a recommitment. But if God is stirring in your heart, I want to invite you to pray with this church family. This prayer, repeat after me. Say, Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for seeing me and for wanting me. I confess I've done my own thing my own way and I have hurt myself and I've hurt others and I was wrong. Forgive me Lord for my eyes wide shut. Open my eyes open my heart this day Jesus is my Lord. And with God's help, I will follow you to my last breath. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or as a recommitment, I do want to invite you to do two things. Number one is uh, plug in with the church family. Let somebody know here one of the pastors one of the staff or somebody with a lanyard let them know that you made this commitment and get plugged in to a sunday school or a small group of some kind to grow in your faith but that's not all the second thing is this i want you to pray for god to open your eyes wide shut to see the people around you and ask god to show you who is it that he wants you to tell your story to and to invite in to the journey of following Jesus and to invite them to church with you, invite them to Sunday school or to, to small group or whatever, and, and, and let them enter into the light and be able to see. Amen? Amen. So thank you very much. It's a privilege to be here. God bless you all.